It is an exciting day, Lord, as we think back about what was accomplished in an ancient city, just outside an ancient city on a miserable hill in incredible pain. And what that gave way to in just a few days. Not just a historical event <clears throat> printed in history books, but a life-changing, life-giving event whose impact has radiated down through the centuries and millennia. And even as Paul says in, in, in Romans, has radiated back to those who came before Christ. So thankful. So very, very grateful. Miserable sinners that we are, we are so grateful. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning, encourage our hearts this morning, and that you would uh, squash the enemy's attempts to drown your spirit out, to twist, to divert, to distract, to lie. And instead we'd hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you know me, I, you know my favorite holiday is Easter. And uh, there's a couple reasons for that, uh, the obvious one, but it also uh, comes with spring. And I, I, I just, I love spring. I mean, I get all kinds of excited about spring starting about uh, November. <laughs> and my wife literally, this is not exaggeration, gets tired of me saying, spring is coming. Spring is right around the corner. Spring's almost here. And I'm, again, I'm saying this in December. And um, she has to put up with that all year, so you should pray for her. But it, it, spring is exciting, isn't it? Even if you're not a big, uh, even if it's not your favorite season, I mean, the newness. Uh, you know, I'm watching the maple tree in our front yard. The, the, the buds are just getting bigger and redder all, all the time. And, you know, you go to the south end of our house, and, you know, in just a matter of about a month, it was all kind of tired hard winter soil and all of a sudden you have um, crocuses and daffodils pushing their way up through and it's riot of color and it's all you know it, it, it conveys newness and uh, of life and hope and anticipation uh, the sun gets warmer and we come outside more even though we're supposed to get one to three inches tonight um, it, it, it's just telling us new things are coming you can get outside your house you don't have to stay inside and turn the heat up anymore new things are coming and easter's the same way you know we remember the resurrection of jesus christ new things are here and new things are coming so it's an exciting exciting time of year the truth is though that some people and no doubt some here as well don't have that kind of anticipation and newness. And I'm, I'm talking about you, not just those who might not know Christ, but some of you who do. And people who are um, in, imprisoned in a kind of despair that is traced to what I have done or things that I have done and a person that I have been, and that's really 
what I continue to see myself as. As a young man, uh, 1997, dealing drugs, and he went to see a buyer at a hotel in California. And when the buyer refused to pay him, Tommy Winfrey, who realized other people will hear about how I'm respected or disrespected, he pulled out a gun, shot the man and killed him. He was 19 years old. Tommy was put on trial. He was found guilty. He was sentenced to life imprisonment for murder. And in prison, he got his life turned around and uh, learned a skill. He was a model prisoner. A woman started corresponding with him and fell in love. And uh, thanks in part to the intervention of the Attorney General of the State of California, about 10 months ago, Tommy walked out of San Quentin a free man after serving 20 years of a life sentence for murder. He walked out of San Quentin, but he didn't walk out of prison. This is what he says. He looks back on what he's done. Now I feel sadness over murdering someone. <clears throat> I feel I have robbed my victim's family of the most precious thing in life. I feel immense sorrow for this. I feel like I've robbed my family of truly ever knowing me. I feel like I have created fear in my community. I feel that I've done the world a great disservice and that I owe a debt that I can never fully repay. Never. I'm full of guilt and shame over my actions. No longer in prison. And yet, sort of. I am full of guilt and shame over my actions. He's 39 years old. He's going to get married to this woman. Instead of looking ahead at another 45 years, 50 years until uh, he passes away in prison, is a chance at a new life. Or does he? I'm full of guilt and shame over my actions. Most people, if you ask them, what's the worst thing you ever did? They know instantly. And they may not be able to single it out from uh, maybe three or four or five things, but most of us have a, a category of history that if we're asked that question, we know exactly what we would answer if we were going to answer. It may haunt us. It may be the kind of thing that we don't think a lot about it, at least in our conscience, in our consciousness, but it's right there beneath the surface in our subconscious. And we don't want to think about it very much because we don't want to remind ourselves about who we really are. Because most of us have a sanitized version about our identity that we keep in the main room, the main hallway of our lives that we can look at and other people can look at that, that looks better than we really know we are. And we remember those things. We remember what we've done. We remember the person that we were. Shoot, the person we still are from time to time. And we don't like it. And come a day like today, you might think, I like the song, but I don't feel the sentiment. Instead of being elevated, I am deflated because I don't know the victory of living in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
we are painfully aware of exactly whom we are not. My friend, Easter can change that. Easter can change that. I want to introduce you to a jury of sorts this morning. These uh, six people are all eyewitnesses of the events that took place in the weekend that Jesus was um, put on trial and indicted. I'm going to have them come out and stand before you this morning. And they're going to share in their uh, own words and the historical account of what they concluded about Jesus regarding his guilt or innocence. First, you're going to hear from Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest that year, and then from Judas, one of Jesus' followers who betrayed Jesus, and then from uh, Pilate's wife who had a dream about Jesus and shared it with her husband, and then from Pilate himself who presided over Jesus' uh, trial and ultimately uh, condemnation. And then next, uh, you're going to hear about uh, from one of the convicts who was crucified next to Jesus. And then lastly, from a soldier who was tasked with helping crucify Jesus. But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, you said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the seated in power next to God and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes in the horror. Blasphemy! Why do we need any other witnesses? You have all heard the blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What's that to us, they retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out and hanged himself. Just then, as Pilate was sitting at the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You have brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, but I will have him flogged and then I will release him. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So, you are the Messiah? Are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die for your crimes? This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. When the Roman officer who was overseeing the execution saw what happened, 
He worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. The jury may be seated. We have to have an appreciation of the events that transpired that brought Jesus to his death. The people that were opposed to him, how dangerous they saw the religion that they thought he was bringing to them. So I want you to imagine, especially if you're a Christian, imagine you're living in Saudi Arabia in about 622 AD. Somebody comes and knocks on your door and he introduces himself as Muhammad. And he says, I am the final, last, and greatest prophet that God has sent to the planet. And he has revealed to me the final scriptures, the Quran. And now I urge you to leave your Christianity behind and, and, and follow Allah. That is exactly the, and you know, if you're a Christian, you're like, I had no way. That's exactly the kind of perception that the average Pharisee and, and the strict religionists of Jesus' day, Jewish religionists, that's the attitude that they had. They saw Jesus as, as bringing something to them, not that was going to complete their faith or the ultimate fulfillment of their faith, but something that was in conflict with, in, in opposition to their faith. And so from the earliest days, as we said last week, the earliest days of Jesus' public ministry, they were out to kill him. Plots in the earliest days between the Pharisees and the Herodians in an attempt to try to put this man away because they were fearful that he was going to stir up the entire populace and ultimately Rome would come and, and suppress it like it was a revolt or something. And so they're, they're very, very concerned about the prospects as long as Jesus remains alive. Yet what was interesting was that for three and a half years, Jesus made his way around Galilee and Perea and Judea and despite the plots, survived. I mean, they even tried to throw him off the edge of a cliff one day and unsuccessful. He just walks right back through the crowd and, and walked away unharmed. So for three and a half years, he navigated this, this environment of hostility and opposition and survived just fine. All of a sudden, he makes his way to Jerusalem and everything changes. The Pharisees and the, um, uh, the council, the Sanhedrin, get together. They're plotting to try to figure out how they're going to um, arrest him and, and put him in trial, trial and make sure that he dies. That's their objective. And of course, you know, Judas gets involved. There are charges that are le- leveled, as Caiaphas says. He, uh, Jesus is he's accused of blasphemy. They take him to uh, Pilate, and there he's... Uh, originally accused of blasphemy, but they realized that's not going to have legs in terms of getting Jesus killed. And so they switched, switched up the charge. Now he's charged with treason of being a king in, in the competition to Caesar. And so he's got these two charges against him, blasphemy and treason. And of course, both of them are bogus. It says in Acts chapter 13, verse 28, they found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. His enemies wanted Jesus very dead. What they didn't realize was that their plans fit God's exactly. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28 read like this. Now this is the early Christians praying, so they're talking to God. They said, in fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles... And the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. 
Now listen. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Not just some of the events. Everything. Everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Why? Because God had planned a very deadly but very glorious swap. A swap between the king of heaven and the people of earth like you and I. Now the Bible says God is what? I know it says he's a lot of things, but what do we instinctively think of? God is what? God is love. That too. God is love. We know that. The Bible says he loved all people, right? Anybody who uh, was in Sunday school class five years knows John 3.16. For God so what? Loved the what? World. All these people that he's, he's made, seven and a half billion of us on the planet today, a lot has, have come and gone, though, before us. Loved those people. He, when it says that God loved the world, it doesn't say he loved the planet Earth. It doesn't say he loves all these continents. He, he loves the people that are here. The problem is that we are by nature guilty people. We're, 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 bad, we're bad people. That's the reason that I can remember when you asked me, what's the worst thing, Keith, you've ever done? That's the reason when somebody asks you, even if you don't tell them, you know what it is. Because we're guilty people. And most of us don't stop at one thing. We have a whole big basket full, don't we? This is what the book of Romans in chapter 3 says. Summary. It's kind of ironic. I was reading uh, from my quiet time this morning. I was reading Psalm 53. And I'm like, oh, that's where this comes from. Romans chapter 3, beginning of verse 10. No one is righteous. Not even one. That means we're all unrighteous. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Now I look out over the crowd this morning and I see people that I know moderately and people that I know well and people that I'm just acquaintances of. And I know there are some really fine people in this crowd this morning that I respect. And yet that describes the finest of us, doesn't it? And it doesn't take long, <clears throat> doesn't take long to, <clears throat> excuse me, to look at um, around that people don't even have to look at ourselves, just look around at people and figure out, mm, yeah, they're guilty. Uh, we have the newest grandchild here this morning, kind of proud of. Two week, barely, not even two weeks old. And <clears throat> she's so sweet and precious and I was going to say trouble-free, but I'm a grandpa, so that doesn't really count. Not trouble-free to mom and dad. But how soon will it be before mom and dad go, oh, yeah, that's right there, she's guilty. Anybody have a toddler here? You look at those toddlers and say, oh, they're so innocent. You're like, what devil has possessed you 
Like, I'm too. I know, but how can you be so bad? I'm too. And then we get into the teen years and don't even get us started, right? We're, we're, we're bad. And because we're, <clears throat> we're bad, we're, we're guilty before God. And because we're guilty of this badness, this sin, we are dying people. <clears throat> Unless Jesus comes back first, none of us here will get out of this life alive. We will all achieve room temperature sooner or later. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says that since through one man, Adam, through one man, death entered the world through sin. We all die because dying is what happens to bad people. This is where the swap came in. We're all guilty. And Jesus was innocent. I mean, can you imagine, parents, to have a child that is born to you that um, never sasses you, never runs off, never lies to you, never fails to do anything good that you ask him or her to do? I mean, you'd be going like, wow, did I get one of these research projects or something? trying to perfect the child and somehow, <clears throat> you know, kind of like the car, the, the car that sometimes, at least these are the apocryphal stories, slips into the batch and it gets 80 miles to gallon or something like that. How did I get this child? Can you imagine what life was like for Mary and Joseph with Jesus? And all Jesus' friends, they asked him to do something for them and he never failed to follow through. Never had a sexual liaison. Well, it's not that he wasn't tempted. He wasn't married to a woman. He never had a sexual liaison. Imagine what life would be like for him. And then he becomes this public preacher, all kinds of opposition against him. I'm sure that he felt like James and John did that time when they went and said, should we call down fire from heaven to barbecue these folks? Because they're opposing you? Jesus is like, no, no. But all those three and a half years, still faithful to his father, um, consider the people around him. He, he did what his father desired, and, and he ministered to those that God brought in contact with him. And by the time he was dragging that big old ugly cross down the street to Jerusalem toward Golgotha, at 33 years old, he still hadn't messed up not even once innocent sinlessly good Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted in every way by the way that is a powerful powerful line isn't it Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are that means what you go through when you're confronted with the prospect of sinning Jesus went through. The only difference was that you and I sometimes give in, and Jesus never did. Tempted as we are in every way, yet was without sin. He was sinlessly good. Even the criminal next to him knew it. 
He says to the other dying criminal, you, know, you and I belong here. You and I deserve to be here. But this guy didn't, didn't do anything wrong. And I want to take you to, this is our key text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because I find this verse so full of hope. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. I don't like how the New Living Translation renders it because I, it, it, it fails to convey what I think the text conveys. It's meant to convey. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. See the swap? To be sin for us so that in him we might become the, say it with me, righteousness of God. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so as Jesus was nailed onto the cross that Friday, and the cross dropped in that hole, all the pain that went with it, and Jesus is crying out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't just because of the physical pain that he was enduring at that moment, but because of the spiritual swap that had taken place. And Jesus, on, listen, Jesus on that cross, you remember that baddest thing you've ever done, worst thing you've ever done? Jesus took that on the cross and he not only paid the penalty for it, he took it from you. Do, do, do you realize that? He not only paid the penalty for it, he took it from you. And this verse says that in exchange, he gave you his goodness. You're not just an improved product. You are perfect if you're in Christ. So that all of that angst and that guilt that weighs you down and that you try not to think about because you're afraid that if you think about it, God's going to know what you've done. Newsflash. Already does. And he loves you anyway. Because you now bear not that guilt. Jesus took that. You bear the innocence of Christ. Miraculous swap Jesus got up and walked out of that grave a free man and he didn't take the sin with him that's left behind your guilt was paid for in full and left behind you are meant to walk out of that tomb with Jesus meant to walk out a free man free woman free child free of guilt I, I, I know listen I know some of your stories I know some of the things that you don't want other people to know and I appreciate you've confided in me and some of you have cheated on spouses some of you have taken lives there are people who have committed abortion, murder, other kinds of murder. There are people here who spent time in prison. There are people here who have done sexual things that nobody else knows about except their partner. There are people here who you 
probably wouldn't want to sit next to because you think that you're better than them. We're not. We're all alike. And that's on both sides of the ledger. On the bad side of the ledger and on the good side of the ledger. Listen, you've been set free in Christ. If you know Christ, you've been set free. And if you're not in Christ, you can be and you can be set free. Because Jesus is always waiting to make that swap. So members of the jury, have you reached a verdict? And what say ye? We find the defendant guilty as charged. This is highly irregular. Earlier I thought you said, at least except for Caiaphas, I thought you said you all agreed that he was innocent. I understand your confusion, Your Honor, but we are all in agreement he's guilty. Well, because of your previous um, response, I think I'm going to have to poll all the members of the jury individually to find out what your individual vote is. So I assume you, uh, Pilate's wife, that you say he's guilty? Yes, Your Honor. Guilty, Your Honor. Guilty of me ignoring him and Caiaphas what's your verdict guilty your honor guilty of me corrupting others faith and Judas what about you guilty your honor guilty of me selling him out and Pilate what about you guilty your honor guilty of me condemning him and convert convict number 436 what say you Guilty, Your Honor. Guilty of my armed revolution. Sergeant, what's your verdict? Guilty, Your Honor. Guilty of me torturing him. You see, Jesus Christ took all of our sins, all of our guilt, all of our badness, and he did so to set you free. And you guilty, messed up people, guilty, messed up people, in Christ have been declared innocent. Don't let the enemy hamper you, hinder you from the freedom that God has intended for you and given to you through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, but if I don't feel guilty, it's almost as if that bad thing didn't matter to me. God has instilled guilt in the operating system of your conscience and mine for a purpose, and that is to lead us to repentance. When we have repented, guilt is done. Its job is over, and you have been set free. Say that line with me, I have been set free. I have been set free. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Father, we give you thanks for the freedom that we have been offered in Jesus Christ and for the freedom that so many of us have received in Jesus Christ. It is a tragedy when we allow the things that Jesus has taken from us to continue to meander about in our spirit and in our um, 
conscious and our consciousness, our subconsciousness, and really let us um, live in defeat and sorrow and sadness and despair and depression. For surely you have offered us in our new innocence joy and a life to be marked by that. Pray for those who um, needed to hear that this morning, to be reminded of the freedom they have in Christ, and for those who perhaps are wrestling with, what, what are the prospects of me crossing over and receiving that kind of innocence? Thank you for your goodness, in Jesus' name. just so happened that our normal communion Sunday falls on Easter this year. Perfect. And so if you're visiting with us today, we want you to know we'd love to have you celebrate communion with us. If you have uh, put your faith in Christ, uh, doesn't matter what church you're from. This is a, this is a family celebration, not a Keystone family, a Christian family celebration. So we'd love to have you join us. Um, in this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd urge you to pass the elements by as they come down the row and just remember this, that Jesus has an open invitation to you to turn from sin and turn to him. And he <clears throat> went to such extreme lengths as we celebrate in Good Friday and Easter to um, buy that option for you, um, for you to think about that this morning. Uh, here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. Uh, we're going to have the service come in just a minute and pass out the elements. Uh, like as the music is playing and as the elements are being distributed, for you just to ponder um, some of those things that you have been set free from. And instead of reviewing all the horrific natures, nature of those things, just to say thank you, God. Thank you for setting me free from them. Thank you for declaring me innocent in Christ. And then we'll pray together and then eat together and celebrate the elements. So we'll have the servers come forward at this time.